Welcome to the Unity Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. In this week's episode, Senior Pastor Heath Bauer is in the series, Work Out Your Faith. As we near the close of our study in Hebrews, we find ourselves at a passage that is challenging to all of us. When we look at those who are leaders around us, our natural response is to try and provoke them, to lead them in such a way that pleases us. Is this good? Is this bad? How are we supposed to respond to spiritual leaders? Today, we will see how we should respond to those God has placed in leadership over us. If you're in the Ashland or Tri-State area, we would love to see you. More information on how you can connect with us at Unity will follow today's talk. Here's Heath with today's message, Follow the Leader. open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. That shouldn't be a surprise to any of you. We've been working through the book of Hebrews, and I'm just going to tell you, my intention was to finish the book of Hebrews today. But as, I, as we parked on verse 17, as I'm kind of fleshing out all that is involved, verse 13 is so rich in content, I had a full-blown sermon before I got past verse 17. So just be glad we didn't try to finish the book today, otherwise we would excuse you maybe about three o'clock. You can thank me later. For context, Hebrews 13, 17, it's a bit of a challenging verse. And initially, when a pastor preaches verse 17, I'm just going to tell you, it feels a little self-serving, and it's not intended to be. We're just working through the book of Hebrews, and we arrive here. Hebrews 13, as you end the book, you're going to see that it really focuses a lot on leadership and leaders within the church. Just this last week, we talked about how it said, remember your leaders and imitate their faith. If you will, follow the leader. Do what they do. You remember playing that as a kid? You you line up, and just some kid is arbitrarily chosen as as leader. Are they the best leader? Who knows? Let's find out. And so we put them at the front of the line, and we follow them around, and whatever they do, we're supposed to do it. And if we make a mistake or whatever, you drop out, and the last kid who gets it, uh, you know, who's still following gets to be the next leader, and so and so on it goes. Well, at the end of Hebrews here, we just talked about remember your leaders and imitate their faith, and then we see a whole bunch of comments on leaders. We see obey your leaders, submit to your leaders, pray for your leaders. He'll say greet your leaders, and so there's a lot to do with leadership at the end of Hebrews chapter 13, and we kind of have to scratch our heads and, you know, ask ourselves, you know, why is that? Why is he focusing so much on the leaders? As this author of Hebrews is signing off here, why are we focusing so much on leadership? Well, I think that's because if you read your Bible, I don't care if you go to your Old Testament or if you go to your New Testament, if you're talking about Jew or talking about Gentile, God's people haven't always done really well at following their leaders. I mean, do you like following leaders? None of us love following leaders. Naturally, we like to go our own way. We're Americans, proud, red, white, and blue, salute the flag. I do my own thing. I I chart my own course. We pioneered the West, you know? And so leadership isn't something that we as humans innately in our flesh really enjoy having. We recognize the need of it. But God's people even, you think, well, people who follow God, surely they'll trust God with their leaders. I mean, how far back do you want to go? You read through the book of the Old Testament, you remember Moses, as Moses was leading them out of Egypt and into the promised land, were there a few hiccups on that journey? Did they love following Moses? I mean, I could give you one of a dozen different stories where they just pushed back against Moses, probably the most famous one, and the kids always love how this one ends. It's like an Indiana Jones movie. So you have this fellow, Korah, and a couple of his buddies, and 250 other people go to oppose Moses. And in Numbers chapter 16 and verse 3, it says, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and Aaron, 
Uh, clearly, that was a church business meeting. <laughs> Y'all been to church, haven't you? And they said to him, you have gone too far for everyone in the congregation is holy. Every one of them and the Lord is among them. Why is it that you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? And what they're telling him is, who are you, Moses? Why are you leading us? We're all holy. We're just as good at leading as you are. And shouldn't that just be a church vote? You know, that's what they're telling Moses here. We're holy. Why, what, what gives you the right, Moses, to exercise leadership and authority amongst us? And part of the problem was is that it, God didn't choose them to lead. Okay, that's, that's the real difference, is, is God has leaders in places for certain reasons. Leadership is not simply even the ability to lead. Leadership is not something inherent that, that is granted to us. So if you come out here and you're the mayor of the city and you come to Unity Baptist Church, or you out there and you're an, you're, you inherited billions of dollars, or you're the CEO of a major multinational corporation, you come to the church, does that give you inherent leadership? It, it does not. Because when we come into the church, rich or poor, black or white, slave or free, whatever you are, when we come to the church, friends, it's level ground. We all come in here and we approach Jesus the same way. Well, as... I'm not, by the way, I'm going to tell you how the story ends. This guy, Korah, in his rebellion, how do you think God's going to respond to that? When Moses, the person that God specifically raised up, remember the burning bush story? God specifically called Moses, you're going to do this, you need to lead them out. And Korah and his buddy say, uh-uh, we're all holy. I think we ought to just, you know, have a big Lord of the Flies campfire where we all just kind of, you know, compete for dominance. And here's what God, how God responds to Korah. I told you, kids are going to like this. This is crazy. Can you imagine this story? Number 16, verse 31, it said, and as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground underneath them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, the place of the grave, the place of the dead. And the earth was closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. Now that's always a tip off that God didn't like what you did. When the ground opens up like a mouth and chews you up and swallows you whole. But what, you know, I think the saddest part of the story is it wasn't just Cor and his buddies that died. Who else died? All that were with them, their family and their friends. And so when there is rebellion against leadership, it's not just you that suffers. It's everybody around you. Well, maybe later on, maybe, maybe God tries a different type of leader, maybe a judge. Remember the judges, Israel, they'd sin. God would let them be dominated by a foreign nation. He'd raise up a deliverer to, to deliver them out of this. Maybe they'll listen to a military deliverer. I mean, we want to be delivered from the, those who conquered us. Judges chapter 2, verse 16, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, and they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. In other words, thank you for getting us out of trouble. Now just kind of leave us alone. Let us you know, choose how we're going to live. What about the prophets? Did they do well with the prophets? Not always. Jesus said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets, threw rocks at them until they died. One of the most famous prophets, one of the longest books of your Bible, and if we ever teach it expositionally, it will take us about 75 years, is the book of Isaiah. How will they treat Isaiah? He's preaching to the southern kingdom of Judah. Watch out or God will remove you from the land. And the peoples, listen to their response to Isaiah. They said, do not prophesy to us what is right. Don't, don't preach to us about what God says. In other words, I know what God says. I know what it says in the Bible, but do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. In other words, just tell us how great we are. Just tell us how good we've been. 
Just tell us how life is going to be really easy and how, it's, and how life is good and just show us how to enjoy this life better. They said instead, prophesy to us illusions. This is a Hebrew word that means deceits. You keep telling us that God is going to remove us from our land, but we don't want to hear the truth. We just want you to deceive us. They're literally asking to be lied to as a congregation. Tell us things that are deceitful. Tell us things that are wrong, as long as it makes me feel good in the end of the day. And he says, they said to him, leave the way, turn aside from the path, go away. It says, we would, uh, let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Maybe then they'll listen to God's son. What about when Jesus comes and tries to lead his nation Israel? Do they do well there? Do you ever read the parable of the tenants where he keeps sending messenger after messenger after messenger and they kept killing him? And they said, this time I will send my son. Surely they will listen to him. Did they listen to his son? John 19, 15, what do they say? We have no king but Caesar. They followed that up with a rousing chorus of crucify him and they put Jesus on the cross and killed him. So no, us Jew, Gentile, American, whatever country you're from, human nature is just we don't tend to do well with, with leadership. And so Hebrews is signing off here, talking a lot about leaders. Remember your leaders, imitate their faith, obey your leaders, submit to your leaders, greet your leaders, pray for your leaders. I, I really see the end of Hebrews sort of like when you want to finally go out on one of those dates and you take your kids out to Mamma and Papa's house, right? And you take them there, and what do you do? I'll, I'll tell you what we did. We would take them, of course ours were Nana and Papa, whatever. We took our kids there, and what we would always tell them before we left is we would transfer authority. And we would say, now we're leaving you with Nana and Papa. You're gonna listen to them, and when they speak, it's like our words. You're gonna follow them like us, and if you don't obey, they can do what we do, okay? They, they'll put you in a corner, uh, I don't know, tie you to the back of the car and drag you. I don't know what they're gonna do, but you better follow them. Okay, so we would transfer that authority. You better listen. And I very much see Hebrews being this way. Jesus has left. Hebrews written some 30 years after the death of Christ. And it's sort of like he gets through all this telling you about who Jesus is. Jesus is the better. Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the, the Aaronic priesthood. He's better than all these things. And he gets to the very end and he starts talking about living by faith. And then he says, by faith, follow your leaders. Trust God with your leaders. And so, uh, as we talk about leadership, there's, there's times we kind of ask ourselves, you know, why do we even need leaders? Where do these leaders come from anyway? Can I tell you that according to Romans 13:1, all leadership that exists in the church, outside of the church, all leadership exists by God. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. It means you all have to obey those 25 mile an hour speed limits in town. Let everyone be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. The leaders that we have, how they get there? Nobody wants to say it, do you? Where did we get our leaders from? They came from God. He says there isn't any leader that exists that didn't come from God, whether good or bad. Sometimes God accomplishes as much through pain as he does through blessing. And so because of Romans 13:1, how you respond to leadership tells me everything I need to know about your understanding of the sovereignty of God. If you trust God, you'll trust the leaders God has sent to you. In as much as they're guiding you in God's word, you're gonna follow them. And the reason I can say that is, is God in control of your leaders? He is, Proverbs 21:1. The king's hand, or the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord and he will turn it wherever he wishes. 
So you think, when you think of stream of water, I think of the mighty Colorado, you know, burying, you know, just kind of boring its way through the Grand Canyon. How'd it get there? At the behest of God. What about your leaders? He says his heart's right there in God's hands. Maybe you're thinking, what if he's a lost leader? What if he's a leader who doesn't love God? What if he hates people, hates God? He kicks puppies? He steps on apple pies? This is a horrible leader. Can we trust this guy with God? Remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Was he a great godly leader? Nebuchadnezzar was the guy that created this giant golden statue and said at the sound of the music, everybody bows down and worships me as God. No, this guy's got a bit of a problem. This is the guy that threw God's people into the fiery furnace. Can you trust God with what God is doing through Nebuchadnezzar? You can. Remember Jeremiah 27, verse 6. He says, now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. He calls him my servant. When was Nebuchadnezzar the servant of God? When he was burning down Jerusalem. He was doing what God wanted him to because God had a message to send to his people. And that's hard to hear that sometimes God intends pain in our life, but he's doing that like any good parent. We don't just, we don't just give our kid ice cream cones and hope they become good kids. Sometimes we make them do hard things, make them mow the grass. We'll put them in a corner. We'll do some other disciplinary measure. And God does the same with us. Now, can you trust God with Nebuchadnezzar? Of course you can. Did God deal with Nebuchadnezzar? Do you remember the brother? What did God do with him? Made him crawl on all fours and let his hair grow out like a wild man and his fingernails to grow out like one of these Ripley's Believe It or Not people. And he crawled around like that and ate grass for seven years until God returned his senses to him. And he repented and he worshiped God. I fully believe we'll see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. Can Can we trust God with our leaders? We can, just look at Nebuchadnezzar. And so because every leader is ordained by God, because every leader, God is in control of our leaders, when we resist our leaders, we are not simply resisting our leaders, but we're resisting God who has ordained them. And so we've got to be very careful with this. So yes, all of this is the introduction. Okay, This is why we didn't do the rest of the book. So when we look at this, and we specifically talk in Hebrews about leaders within the church, do we even need leaders in a church? Or is it just that everybody is the leader and we all just get together at business meeting like the Lord of the Flies that we all had to read in eighth grade with all these boys getting around a campfire and competing for dominance and killing each other and eating each other? Is that what we were intended to be? Well, Hebrews 13, 17 answers that. He says in verse 17, he says, uh, this is a command to the church, number one. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. Uh, this word leader, remember the Bible, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek. Sometimes it doesn't always give us a, a full understanding of, of all that we're looking at here. Uh, a leader here, it's the word hegeomai, where you get the word in English, hegemony. It just refers to somebody who is established as a leader intended to govern within a social order. They've been granted a certain measure of authority and power within a social order. So that's the kind of leader that we're looking at here, somebody who is officially designated to govern. But which leaders are we talking about? Is he just saying, you need to follow your mayor? You need to follow your president. You need to follow your supervisor at work. What, what leader is this? He does specify. He says specifically the ones who are keeping watch over your souls. 
Who's that? That's your pastor. Other people will look out for your bodies. The police will protect your bodies. The, the government will, you know, they're taking care of all this external stuff. But the internal part of man, friends, that's your, that's your church leadership. Your pastor is your elders, okay? And that's who we're talking about here. These are those leaders. In context, when he was talking about leaders, these are also the leaders who have been teaching you the word of God. Okay? Leaders by definition, are those who we possess a blueprint, we know where we need to go. If, you have a, if you've ever been a foreman on a construction project, you have a blueprint. And you have a bunch of guys here, uh, you know, who are you know, kind of goofing around over here, and you've got to kind of rally them. Hey, we have a blueprint. Right now, here's the status of the job site, and we've got to get it from here to there. And that's very much what an elder does with the word of God. He doesn't lead the church in the direction he wants to go. He's looking at the blueprint. What does God want us to do? And then what he does is he rallies everybody to God's word. Let's follow that. To do that, that means leaders by nature have to make changes. I was looking for like dodging rotten vegetables and like eggs and things. Uh, we don't always love changes, do we? we? Because generally humankind, we like status quo. We like things to stay the same because it's comfortable and familiar to us. But a leader by definition has to come into an organization. He has to look at where we are. He has to look at the blueprint and figure out how do we get from here to here? And that involves certain changes, well thought out and communicated changes. And I would argue that if you have a leader who never makes a change, he's not a leader and at best, maybe a manager. Now, let's be clear, Jesus, Ephesians chapter 5, Jesus is the head of the church. And so a leader's job is not to try to get people to follow him, but to try to get people to follow Jesus. And has Jesus communicated what he wants from a church? It's, it's right here in the Bible. We don't have to guess at what that is. We have our blueprint. Okay? But according to this passage here, as we look at Hebrews 13, 17, we see that strategic leadership has been granted to a certain group of men, those who are keeping watch over your souls. Pick your term. I don't care what you use. They talk about the same office. Pastor, that's what we usually use here, uh, but elder is also used in the Bible. We'll see it in 1 Peter 5. And then overseer, also in 1 Peter 5, is all describing the same office. We'll see a little bit about, more about that later. And so what you have here is a group of men that the congregation has selected who follow God, who fit the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3, and then we ordain them and set them apart as elders. I believe that includes both paid elders and lay elders, ultimately. Now, I'm talking to some people, they're like, well, man, why don't we just go back to the way it was where the deacons led the church? And I always just kind of laugh when they say that. I say, okay, let's back up and let's talk about what you're describing. So you're saying that the church should be strategically governed by a body of men who are walking with God, who are ordained by the church, who fit the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and provide strategic direction for church. Yes. That's how the Bible describes an elder. You know, we're, we're cool with the deacons running the church, but not elders running the church. And in Baptist church, a lot of times we conflate the two offices into one. But the word deacon, diakonos, just means, it means a servant, literally one who runs in the dust. People who get dirt under their fingernails, they're godly people, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, but their gifting tends to be more towards service-oriented, behind-the-scenes activity. Whereas the elders, God has said that they are to, uh, he says, watch over the souls of others. All right, so let's go on here. There's a couple of commands given to the church. A, it's to obey your leaders. Mm. Now, that's a word we all love to hear. Your kids love to hear it, don't they? Your kids at school love to hear it. But what, what does this mean? You go ahead and interpret that for me. Obey your leaders, the ones who watch over your souls. Now, I will be clear here. Obey here is not the same word in the Greek as the obey in Ephesians 6.1. 
as children who obey their parents in the Lord. This is a different word. It's not that you slavishly obey. Children don't get an option to obey mom and dad. They've gotta do it. God commanded them. He said, this is right. But as a church, it's something that as a mature believer, we willingly yield ourselves to. And that's what this word means, to obey. It means to be convinced to yield oneself to. Do you yield in other areas of life? Y'all drove here, I imagine. Not too many of you probably walked here. You're both driving up to a four-way stop. You see a brother, he's driving up the same time you are on the right-hand side of you, and you both pull up to the four-way stop at the same time. Who gets to go first? The guy on the right. I'm glad you guys know that. Tell the rest of Ashland. Um, <laughs> can't tell you how many times I almost got in a wreck. Uh, anyway, so the guy on the right yields. Now, is it because you didn't feel like going yet? Is it because you're just such a nice person, you always just want to let, you're just waving people on. No, go ahead. Your needs are greater than mine. Is that how you feel at a four-way stop? You know, you're itching. You're like, rrr, rrr, you're rubbing the, rubbing the edge. You want to go, but you don't go. Why? Why don't you just peel out? Because it's the order of law. And if you start running stop signs, you know, we're going to have T-bone, not steak, but T-bone cars. You know, we're, you're going to be in the hospital. It's going to create problems. And so for the sake of order and because you respect the law of the land, you allow him to go first. That's what it means to yield. You want to go some way, but you're not. Okay? You're going to let this guy go. And that's what he says. To be convinced to yield to means that I have a way that I want to go, but I recognize God's intended order, and I'm going to allow this person to go. And so that's what it means to obey your leaders. It's not a slavish obedience. They're not telling you how to, you know, how to live your life and who to marry and what job to have. That's called lording over the flock. We'll get to that. Instead, it just means to, to be convinced to yield one too because you believe in the law of God. You believe that the order of the church requires some measure of, of, uh, of order. And I would argue, friends, that if you only follow the leaders when you agree with them, that's not actually following. You've never yielded to anything. You're more like a family going down to Disney. You ever done this? You get in line, you just seem to be following the same family all day long, and you're going ride to ride, and you're, you just, you're not following that family, are you? It's not like you're like, that family looks like they know Disney. We will follow them. And whatever they do, that's what we do. And no, it just, it just happened to be going that direction. And, and so it is in leadership. If you just follow someone because you agree with them, that's not truly following. To follow, to obey your leaders, means to be convinced to yield to. I have an idea, I like this, but I recognize the position that God has you in and I will follow that. Now, as I say this, I can hear people hissing on the live stream and, and we'll start hearing things like this. Well, that sounds authoritarian. You ever hear stuff like that? That sounds authoritarian. Let's, let's distinguish a couple of terms here, authoritarian and authoritative. Authoritarian says, you follow me no matter what I said because I'm right and you just need to, you need to obey me. And that person is making disciples of themselves. And it happens in churches sometimes. Authoritative means that both leader and those who are led are both under a standard. We're both under the same standard. And the leader, instead of making disciples of himself, is trying to make disciples of Jesus. And he's not simply calling you to follow him. He's calling you to follow what we're all following, the blueprint. You know, foreman out there on job sites, it's not like he just scraps the blueprint and says, eh, I think that should go there, that should go there, this should go like this. Why don't you just kind of do something over there? It feels good to me. The foreman has nothing to say of his own. He just looks at the blueprint and says, you know what? This is what it's supposed to look like. This needs to be here, this needs to be here, and we follow for the sake of order. And that's what church leadership looks like too, also. 
Now, when it comes to leadership, do you just unquestioningly follow the leader? Do you just snap your heels together and salute and move on? No. We don't want yes men in this church. In this church, I hope you realize this by now, we're trying to raise up other fellow leaders. We want you to think freely. We want you to have good ideas. We want you to initiate things. I want you to approach us and say, hey, we're doing it this way, but what if we thought about this? Good leadership is never challenged by that. Good leadership follows good ideas. Okay, so share those things. So what do you do when you disagree with a leader within the church? Clearly, you talk about them behind their back and extra points if you do it in the lobby with a really loud voice. I don't know who read that book, but there's quite a few people who've read that one. Uh, what does Matthew 18 say? When you have an issue with somebody, you go to them and them alone, and you talk to them, and you work it out, and you, you don't make accusations. You ask questions. Let me understand. The Bible says, to him who speaks before he hears, it is folly and shame. So let him explain what's going on. Okay, now let me provide some counterpoint here. Now, I've had some people say, well, I don't go to my leaders and tell them when I disagree because it doesn't do any good. And I asked them, what do you mean it doesn't do any good to to talk to your leaders about your disagreements. They said, well, they don't change to do what I want. And I wanna say, was that the intention of going in to talk to your leader, that you can force them and strong arm them that the church might look exactly like what you think it should be? And I wanna say, isn't that the very thing you were afraid he might do? The only difference is God made him the leader in that department. You know, so let's say you have a disagreement where you, you don't like the music Theron shared this morning. I liked it, but maybe you don't. Do you have a right to go and talk to there and say, you know, I've got some concerns about our music. I don't really care for it. You can share that with him politely. But then when you, what, what, what do we do? It's not a sin issue, so we don't keep going down the road of Matthew 18. It's just a preference issue. So we, we pray and we convince ourselves to yield. This is what I believe, but I'll go along with you. Now, I don't know what it is, but it seems like every time I preach a sermon, God makes me live it out first which is why our next sermon series is how to deal with unexpected wealth. <laughs> Let's test that theory. I had proposed an idea to some folks in the church that I felt very strongly about. And I had a couple of fellows who had a different idea. They had some concerns. They didn't get nasty about it. But I had some fellows, they had some concerns, and I talked to both of these fellows privately. And let me tell you, uh, you know, this was a master class in how to deal with when you disagree with somebody. Uh, one of the fellows had expressed to me, he says, I wanna share some things with you. I've got some concerns, but I want you to know up front, whatever you guys decide to do, I'm gonna support that. That was great. Well, this fellow shared his idea. It just so happens these two guys' idea was far better than mine. And so you know what I did as a leader? I followed the good idea because that's what leaders do. It's not that they always have to be right, it's that they're seeking what is the best way to follow this. And that's all we can ask of one another. The second word here is B, submit to your leaders. Uh, another word we love. Also, by the way, not the same word used of wives to husbands in Ephesians 5, not the same word. But he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. I want you to see here that notice that leaders is in plural. That's the best way to, to govern a church. You know, there's always this thought that, you know, what if I can't, what if this leader gets power hungry? You know, I don't firmly believe that the Bible teaches a Protestant pope that you have one guy who's just making all the calls for everything. That a church is best governed by leaders, plural. That you have a plurality of congregationally elected elders whom you set apart for certain business. When you've got a bunch of leaders working on things, friends, it's really hard for them to just kind of, you know, get full of themselves. Even if one guy gets a little wonky, 
The other guys will set them straight. But it says here, submit to your leaders, plural. Submit, like I said, is a different word than Ephesians 5. And what it means here, it's actually a military term. It means to cease fighting against. To cease fighting against, to yield, surrender. Hey, you know what? I'm not going to, we're not going to keep pushing back against you. We're, we're going to trust God with this leadership here. You know, do sometimes churches and their leaders get at odds with each other? I'm told it happens at times. Uh, I've got some friends where that has happened. Uh, but submit means to stop fighting the leaders that God sends you. And you follow them not because you agree with them, but simply because you recognize that for whatever reason, this is the order that God has created. That the person that God establishes in leadership, God gives them a certain badge and says, you represent me now. Just like somebody who wears a badge uh, who's a policeman. Y'all have seen Andy Griffith's show, I hope. If you have not, then you need to be discipled in it. Andy Griffith's show, y'all know Barney Fife, right? Barney, he, was a, he wore the badge. Uh, was he an intimidating fellow? You ever hear him scream out, I'm Barney Fife and I'm armed! You know, him and his one bullet. You know, he goes to get a physical, I think he's like 5'7 and like 142 pounds or something like that. He's, he's shrimpy, skinny little Barney, but he has a badge. Well, a little Barney takes that badge outdoors and decides to put it to the test, and he sees Fred Plummer out there sweeping dirt junk into the street. You know, Fred Plummer, the guy who plays like seven different roles on Andy. Well, Fred Plummer, he's sweeping stuff in the street. Barney tells him to stop, and Fred was so disturbed by him, so frustrated, he kind of puts his fist right in Barney's face and says, as soon as you're out of that uniform, basically, I'm going to beat you to a pulp. And so Barney basically sleeps in the uniform, uh, wears it to the grocery store, go, wears it to church, <clears throat> takes Thelma Lou out to a dance, wearing the police uniform, and eventually Barney just has to, or Andy has to set Barney down. He tells Barney, Barney, you're a symbol of the law, just like I am. We are both symbols of the law. And when people look at us, they don't just see Barney Fife and Andy Taylor. They see the law. And so, friends, what I'm encouraging us to do is, when you see your church leaders, don't just simply look at the leaders themselves. I want you to see that they're following a, a Bible-instituted order for the governance of the church. Now, maybe you're asking yourselves, you know, why do we even need leaders in the church? Why can't we all just sit around the campfire, Lord of the Flies style, and just compete for dominance? You know, the loudest voice in the business meeting wins, and we just do everything we can to keep that person quiet. Why don't we just do it that way? It's because every, if you read your Bible, and go ahead, it's pretty thick, but read your Bible every single time. God does something significant amongst his people. He has always done it through a leader. Do you realize that? Every single time God does something significant amongst his people, for whatever reason, God is going to make you trust God through leadership. I mean, go ahead, look in your Old Testament. When God wanted to start a people for himself, he raised up Abraham. When he wanted them to lead them out of Egypt and into the promised land and through the desert, he raised up Moses. When he wanted to lead them into the promised land and to take the promised land, who did he raise up? Joshua. And so on and so forth it goes. When he wanted to create a theocracy under himself, he, created, he raised up Samuel. When he wanted to deliver Israel six different times in the book of Judges, he raised up several different judges. When God wanted to start the church, he sent Jesus Christ, who raised up apostles, who raised up pastors. Every time God wants to do something significant amongst his people, he has always done it through leadership. And so as we're, as a church, 
praying that God will do something unique and beautiful in our church. And don't you, don't you want to see God do a mighty work here at Unity Baptist Church? Just understand that when we're praying, understand what you're praying for. You're praying for God to raise up a leader to take you there. And that can be hard to hear. But friends, God will make us walk by faith. He's going to make us follow leaders that he sends us. Well, now there's a command to the leaders here, number two. So he's speaking of these elders who are governing. He says, keep watch over your souls. Or these are those who keep watch over your souls of those who will have to give an account. There's always this fear. What if that pastor's power hungry? What if they're this or that? You know, because that can happen. Again, it goes way down when you have a plurality of these elders. But there's a word here. What do these elders do? Point A, elders watch over the people. Someone who's leading in a church, they're not just leading you to what they feel like doing. They don't get to just do whatever they feel like. Like a, like a foreman, they are bound to the blueprint. Their job is simply to keep pointing you to the word. We need to go here, here, here. It's right here in the scriptures. We need to go there. That's what a good leader does. And they watch over the people. They don't use people. They watch over people. Okay, remember that he's called a shepherd. He watches out over his sheep. This word watch literally means to deny oneself sleep. Sort of like the person where the, all, the, all the soldiers are sleeping out on the ground. There's always one guy who has to sit up and he's bored as all get out. And he's just making sure that everybody who's sleeping, there's one guy staying up, denying himself rest so that the other guys can be safe. That's one of the roles of a, a pastor is he watches out over the souls of the people here. He makes sure that the sheep are fed and that they're protected and that they don't wander off into wolf territory. His goal is not to drive the sheep. It's not to use the sheep. It's not to eat the sheep. It's not to beat the sheep. His goal is to watch over them and make sure that they are prepared to meet their God. I hope you know that in our leadership here, that is our only intention for you here because you're all gonna stand before God one day in your sins and you'll pay for your own sins or you're gonna stand in Christ in the white robes of his righteousness and he will have rewards for you. Friends, my only goal here is to prepare you for eternity. We're on a road right now, but this is not our destination. We're going somewhere. B, elders are also accountable to God. So this is the warning. This is the exclamation point God has for leaders. You don't get to do what you want. You have to give an account to God. You're a foreman and a foreman has to give an account to somebody who's funding this project says, elders are those who will have to give an account that I will stand before God one day and I will have to justify, if you will, why we did what we did in the various ministries that we did. And if that concept does not frighten you, it's because you don't really understand what it's saying. What does James 3, 1 tell us? Let not many of you become teachers, because why? Whoever teaches will be judged with greater strictness. Some of your Bibles may say a stricter condemnation. We are judged with greater strictness. Means we are accountable uh, in a greater way than you are. Greater is a term of comparison. That God will hold me more responsible for what happens to this church than he does you. Because a pastor is judged with greater strictness than the people that he leads, this is why, friends, the man of God leads you to follow God and he doesn't just try to make people happy. And because this man is going to have to stand before God and give an account for why he did what he did in the church, friends, get, allow the man of God some room to lead the church toward the word of God and toward being a biblical church. If he does not, and if you have a pastor who compromises 
And he just gives in to whatever people want. What do you think we ought to do? What do you think we ought to do? What do you think we ought to do? And he just tries to keep everybody, people happy. He is now a servant of people. And that's a problem because the pastor will still be under greater, stricter judgment than the people that he is leading. And so be gentle with him. If you are high pressuring your church leaders to go against God's word to please you, you may very well be encouraging him toward judgment. You remember the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 13, there's a story of the young prophet. Y'all read that one, young prophet? Talked to a young girl this week who read it, terrified her. Okay, there's this young prophet and God gave him a job to do. It's under the reign of Jeroboam. It says, go to Jeroboam, prophesy these things. And when you go back home, okay, 1 Kings 13, he says, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. However, there was an old prophet who lived in the land. And I don't know why, the Bible doesn't tell us why, but he decided that he was going to encourage this young prophet to go against what God had for him. 1 Kings 13, 18 says, I am also a prophet you are. Okay, an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. That's what our text says, he lied to him. Which is just another example, friends, of why you don't listen to Christians who tell you, God told me. Why Christians say, God told me to tell you. That's exactly what this false old prophet did to the young prophet. Now, what's gonna happen? The young prophet's gonna be under greater, stricter condemnation because God gave him this, this message to deliver and this, this message to obey. And he was swayed in verse 19. It says, he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. What's God gonna do with this? He's going to fall under stricter condemnation. That law was given to you and you shouldn't divert from God's law no matter what any man tells you. Verse 24, it says, as he went away, a lion met him in the road and killed him and his body was thrown into the road and the donkey stood beside it and the lion just stood there beside the donkey. Now, as a kid, I grew up watching Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, okay? the authority on animal kingdom. I know lions don't normally do this. When they grab a guy and tear him up, they don't just leave him there and leave the donkey by himself and just stand there like a trophy. Behold what I did. Lions don't naturally do that in nature. Lions will kill and lions will eat. They'll, they'll drag it off into the trees. So him just standing there, it was a signpost to everybody in the city. This man followed people rather than God. And so this man right now lies dead. And so because preachers, pastors, church leaders, we are judged more strictly by God, do not be surprised if they are far more concerned that God is pleased with the ministry than people. And I don't mean that doesn't mean they don't care what people think. It just means what God wants a church to be has to come first. It has to. In fact, Galatians 1.10. If we follow people, are we really following God? We are not. Galatians 1.10, Paul said, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? When I serve you, I'm trying to please God or please people. He says, if I was still trying to please man, I would not be what? a servant of Christ. You cannot be a servant of Christ and just try to make people happy all the time. Sometimes you can do both. If you have a mature congregation, sometimes you can't. Like I said, can some pastors go, that, go too far with that? Absolutely. It's why we have verses like 1 Peter 5 in here. What does he say to the leaders here? And I love 1 Peter 5. It's very interesting. It shows you in one passage that all three of these terms that I've been using are describing the same office. You are going to see a reference to elders. It's a biblical term. You're gonna see reference to shepherding, which is what we call pastoring. Pastor just means shepherd, poimane, it's a shepherd. 
And then you're going to see overseer, exercising oversight. Let's see if you can find it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 says, So I exhort the elders, notice once again, the elders is in the plural, that in that church there were a plurality of elders. I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Did you see how all three terms there are describing that same office? You have an office called the elders who shepherd the flock of God. And while they do that, what do they also do? They exercise oversight. But is there a warning to these people exercising oversight in the church? These people that you have congregationally elected to represent you. Is there accountability? There is. And he says, do not lord over the people that God has sent you. That word lord over just means you are not to forcibly subjugate the people. I can't make you follow me. I can point to God's word. I can show you that I care about you. I can show you that I care about God's will. And I hope that we can join together as a church to follow, God's, follow God, follow his word, and to reach the lost people, to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ, to disciple them. But if you choose not to, you have that prerogative. You can do that. But this is a message to pastors. Do not lord over the flock. Sometimes we'd be serving in churches in China and sometimes pastors would lord over the flock. They would literally tell people, you can work here and not here. You, you need to quit your job and you need to work over here. You need to quit your job and come work at the church. You, break up with that girl. I got another girl for you to marry. You're gonna marry her. Okay, that's lording over the flock where you are governing every detail. Instead, a pastor does not lead by dominance. He does not lead by forcibly subjugating people. Instead, he leads you by example and he leads you by influence and he leads you by the truth of the word of God. And I pray that you will do as it said here earlier, that you'll be convinced to yield to, not me, but yield to the word of God. Well, let's move on to our last point here. We've got to get going. So how does church and church leaders, how do we work well together in the long term? Leadership is very much just a sacred trust that we have with one another. A pastor is trusting you and you are trusting the pastor, and we're in the whole process. It's not just that I'm trusting you, and it's not just that you're trusting me, but in so doing, we're trusting God with one another. Hebrews 13 writes this, let them, who's that? It's the elders. Let them do this, what's this? Exercise oversight with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. He says, let your, let your pastors let them exercise the gift that God gave them and let them do this with joy. Can I tell you what gives your pastors joy? There's only really one thing that gives them the great joy. Look at what John said in 3 John 4. He referred to his disciples as his own children. That's how close he was with them. He says, I have no greater joy than what? Than to see that my children walk in truth. Do you know the only reason people really, the real pastors, not the fake ones, not the false teachers, not the prosperity teachers, do you know the only reason that real pastors get into this line of work? It's to see that God's children walk in truth. That really is the only reason. I mean, it's, it's not for the pay. Uh, it's not for those cushy 65-hour work weeks. Uh, it's not for those kind of things. We get into this line of work for one reason alone. We want to glorify God by helping build up his people and strengthen the kingdom of God. And pastors sacrifice uh, all these great careers they could have, all this money they could have, all this success in, out there in the world that they could have because this is an all-consuming passion that they lead God's people to be disciples. And so when, when a pastor sees that his church is growing, not numerically, but growing internally, that spiritually you're developing, you're becoming a mature Christian, that gives them great joy. 
What is it that will take away a pastor's joy? It's doing the opposite of what this text said. You aren't willing to follow their leadership. You're not obeying, submitting. You're not, you don't recognize the leadership, and you're not going to follow God's word. You're going to do what you want to do. The Bible says that will lead a pastor to a place of groaning, stenazzo. It just means to squeeze until we get kind of a sigh. Okay? Groaning sounds like this. <sighs> It's the sound that you make when you're about to quit. Groaning. He says, those, those leaders that are among you in the church that teach you the word of God, that are guiding you, that are watching over your souls, he says, cease resisting them militarily. Cease resisting them. Go along with them. Be yielded, convinced to yield unto them and to the ministry, the, the, the mission that God has for us as outlined in the Bible. He says, and stop resisting them, putting all this pressure on him, gossiping and backbiting and, and hurting one another. He says, because eventually that pastor is just gonna go, <sighs> and he's gonna start wondering if he's doing any good here. Maybe somebody else could do a better job than him. And if he's tired and if he sighs long enough, he might start warming up his resume. Now, friends, that's, I'm not saying that's me. I'm not groaning right now. Quite honestly, as a church, you guys have been very supportive. You guys have been very kind to me. You guys have been very helpful. I see God firing so many of you guys up for the ministry, reaching out people who don't know Jesus, loving our neighbors well. I see you doing that. I'm actually very encouraged. But I know friends who are sighing in the ministry right now, and it can happen. When we do that, when we cause our church leadership to groan and sigh and go, oh God, am I doing any good here? He says, that is of no benefit to whom? To you as a church. It doesn't do you any good to burn out pastors. It doesn't do you good. In fact, did you know there's a nationwide pastor shortage? There really is, especially since COVID. People at pastors are like, yeah, time for me to sell insurance. Time for me to go sell used cars. Time for me to work for a funeral home or be a chaplain at a hospital. And so there's a pastor shortage because I think there's a lot of pastors who are sighing and they are grieving that they're not seeing. They just can't see that God is doing any real work amongst them. And so leadership is that sacred trust. You as a congregation have a responsibility to trust God with the leaders he gave you to talk to them, confront them, congregationally select good elders among you. Okay? And the pastor has a, has a responsibility to trust God that the work that he's doing, God is at work and his word will not return void. It will accomplish the purpose that he sent out for it to do. And so the church trusts God despite maybe some reservations that you may have, that you have voted in a qualified person according to 1 Timothy 3, a man of God who walks with God, who intends good for you, who is pointing you to the Bible and not simply his own desires to carry out the Great Commission. And that is what God wanted us to do all along. But he has always done that through a leader. And so friends, I'm asking you together, just with me, can we trust, one, can we trust God together with one another? I'm gonna trust God with you. I pray that you can come to a place where you will trust the elders that you have selected here in this church as well. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning's passage. God, this is a hard one to preach because it talks just a lot about our roles as elders within the church individually. It's probably a more difficult one to even hear. This is a challenging passage to go through. But God, I pray that you'll give us grace and love with one another. God, I pray that as a people, we don't be rebellious as pastors and elders, that we don't get, become lords over the flock, that, that each one of us 
trust the other. Trust God with the other one. That we trust that God is sovereign over the church. God is sovereign over the pastor as he is sovereign over all things on earth. And we just commit ourselves to you this morning. May we walk in obedience to you. May you be glorified in how we interact as church and pastor, we pray in Christ's name. From all of us here at Unity, we just want to say thanks for spending time with us today. If you'd like to know how to surrender your life to Christ, or if you'd like to share a response, visit us at www.unitybaptistashland.com. We would love the opportunity to help you in your next steps. You can also connect with us on Facebook at UBC Ashland. If you like what we're doing, don't forget to like and subscribe and share our podcast. Until next time, let us give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the people.